again, it is a joy to be with you all uh, this morning in this way and to hear that story again um, tells of our great gospel. That a man, Saul, who was breathing threats against the very people that would believe in Jesus, a man who made it his life goal to stamp out the church, becomes the man who wrote most of our New Testament, the most accomplished missionary the world has seen, a man who spread God's word to the far reaches of the known world. And we have to ask ourselves, what kind of gospel is that that could do that? What kind of God is that that could do that? So hopefully, as we look through Paul's uh, reenactment of this story in Galatians. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can open to Galatians 1. We'll be looking to, at a, verses 11 through 24. Um, before we do that, let's review a bit where we were in the first part of Galatians. Galatians exists as Paul's defense of his gospel against the Judaizers. The Galatian churches were put about by uh, a number of people from Jerusalem who were claiming that Paul's gospel was not quite the gospel. Uh, that Paul was leaving out the law was the main accusation. That Paul was telling new Christians that they didn't need to follow the law of Moses. And so he's defending his gospel. He's also defending his apostleship because it's one of the places that these people would have attacked him saying, well, Paul's not really uh, an apostle. In the first section, Paul harshly reprimands anyone who would teach another gospel. And we looked at two false gospels that we often see, that of legalism attempting to create our salvation in the law, but also that of license attempting to rest solely on the grace of God and require no holiness. So that's where we've come from, and we're going to continue in the same vein, because Paul needs to establish that his apostleship is from Christ, and he needs to establish that his gospel is from Christ. It doesn't come from a man, and so he does that. He states uh, in the first section there that the gospel he preaches does not come from human teaching, doesn't come from any human effort. Uh, and then he reviews his life story in a very brief way as a way of illustrating that gospel. Uh, before we read, let's uh, have a word of prayer. Father, this morning we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that you teach us, for the way that your word review, reveals your will and your way to us. Father, may we open our hearts. May we hear your word. Father, help me not to speak my words, but to speak your words and to simply be a messenger that people may hear your great gospel. We pray this through Christ. So Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 24. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. 
For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. When he who set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. When I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, then I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. The question becomes, as we read through that and we look at Paul stating the source of his gospel as Christ, um, we do have to ask that question of ourselves. Did Paul learn his gospel from other people? Was he simply discipled by certain people and he assumed their gospel? Or did Paul learn his gospel from Christ? If we look in verse uh, 1 of chapter 1 there, it says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor from God, but through. And he repeats that there in verse 11. For the gospel is not man's, and he did not receive it from man, but he received it from Christ. So he uses the same structure there to reject two things and accept one. So Paul's qualification as an apostle came not from selection or appointment from man. It came from Christ. While we have no recollection or we have no um, record of the accusations that these Judaizers were brought that they brought against Paul, we do see what he's preaching against. And so we can kind of assume um, that they were claiming uh, maybe their own authority uh, over Paul's because of their connection with Jerusalem. And maybe that they were taught the real gospel perchance that they would have had from Jerusalem. They also said that that gospel included parts of the Jewish law. This type of idea is not foreign to humans. We tend to relate to people who we view as more qualified. And we we tend to have a little structure at which we rate somebody's qualifications. So uh, if they have a subtitle or a a name in front of them, Dr. So-and-so, or a master's degree at the end of their title, or maybe they studied with this person, and that gives them their, uh, their authority. 
And that's not necessarily uh, wrong, but I think the Judaizers here were using that uh, as kind of their trump card, saying that, you know, we hung out with the real apostles, and Paul did not. Paul simply, well, I mean, he was actually persecuting the church, and so here three years from that, we're going to accept him as authoritatively preaching the gospel. Uh, You can see that this would raise some questions for them. But Paul replies to them that, um, no, his, his authority is not for man. He was not taught of man, but he was taught of Christ. His qualification was based on Christ rather than a connection to a certain people or a certain church. So what is the proof that Paul gives um, to uh, persuade people that this is true? In Acts 9.20, likely less than a week from his conversion, he was in the synagogue preaching that Christ was the Son of God. I'd say that was sort of quick. Uh, how many of you were preaching a week after you were converted? <laughs> Probably none of us. Um, but Paul was. And we see as time goes on that uh, the, the term in Acts used that he confounded the Jews uh, with his defense of the gospel, with his defense of Christ uh, in a very short time from his conversion. So he's stating that there's no way he could have learned the gospel in an enough way to repeat it if he had learned it from another person. If we think about the, uh, the conversion of Paul and, and how quickly this took place, and we apply that to a person in our world, uh, we have a, a scholar in Britain, I think his name is uh, Stephen Hawking, and he keeps talking about who God is and what the cosmos is and what the universe is and where it comes from, and he tries to come up with all these theories. Paul being converted would be as if Stephen Hawking was converted this week and next week he was preaching the gospel of Christ. To me, that would be a parallel of the, of the conversion of Paul. Remember who Paul was. He was one of the utmost scholars of his day in Judaism. He trained under the utmost scholar, uh, Gamaliel, and it's, it was understood that most likely Saul, as he was then, would take his place as the ultimate Jewish scholar. Paul clearly states then in verse 16 and 17 that he did not immediately go to Jerusalem to be taught by the apostles. He went to Arabia to be taught by Christ. And so while he was quickly converted and was quickly preaching, he did spend much time with Christ in learning the gospel. And so we need to have this understanding that Paul's gospel came from Christ because he repeats that gospel here in verses 13 through 16. And uh, I will just reread that quickly. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. So, so, so Paul was pursuing Judaism. He was pursuing becoming uh, what he felt was real. And he was pursuing it at a higher level than anybody else. But verse 15 says, But 
when he who set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach. So we have four clear steps within that verse of how God's gospel was brought forth in Paul's life. The first is that we have that he was set apart before his birth. But when he who set me apart before I was born, God himself planned that Paul would be his missionary. Paul did not by his own will somehow come about to becoming this person. He didn't force himself to follow God. It wasn't an action of his will. It became an action of his will, but it began as a setting apart by Christ, by God before his birth. Isaiah 49.1 says, The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. In Acts 9, Paul is seen as a chosen vessel. In Romans 1, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Acts 9.15, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine, speaking about Paul, to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So it is very clear that God had a specific mission for Paul from his birth, and he brought it about in his life. A couple of things that we must be clear about. Paul did not make any moves toward God before his conversion. In fact, he was doing all in his power to destroy the way, to destroy the followers of Christ. We can't say that in his destruction of the church, he was slowly moving towards God. He was running from the grace of God. He was running from the truth of God. He was doing all in his power to destroy. We must also be clear that Paul was not excused for doing all he could because he was following what he knew. This conversion was not simply a redirection of his efforts. If you think about it, Paul was claiming to be an expert in Judaism. He was pursuing the, the, the Jewish law. But in killing Christians, he was violating the code. He was violating the Ten Commandments to pursue becoming a better Jew. So he was, he was violating uh, what he was attempting to preach, what he was attempting to defend. This would be similar to a, um, a marriage partner living in adultery saying that he's promoting faithfulness to his spouse. It would be the same as cheating on your taxes to say that you're trying to obey the tax code. Paul was not pursuing God in his pursuit of, the, of Judaism and in pursuit of persecuting the church. He was actually against God, running against God. And we must also clearly state then that Paul is not simply remote controlled. He does answer, yes, Lord. His will is conformed to the will of Christ. His will is inclined and he does actively follow God and his plan for his life that was laid out for his birth. So Paul's not simply a train on a, on a track. He's not simply a person who is 
placed in that situation outside of his will. His will is inclined to follow God. So we're talking about the set apart as it relates to Paul, but then the question we must answer is, was this type of setting apart by God limited to Paul? Was this kind of a specific example that God used to grab Paul because he knew he needed that person? Do Christians today experience the same setting apart? John 6.44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Romans 9.16 So it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that's 1 Peter 1.3. And then in John 10, it says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. It would appear that those who follow God do so because he calls them to follow God. Paul's experience is not different. Each of us also have a former life that we've lived. And we'll look at that a little later on. God in his mercy reaches down to that former life in which we are helpless, sin-cursed humans, and he calls us to himself. And this is amazing news. The blind can see. The lame can walk. We who are dead can live because of the grace of God. Now if you hear this and, and somehow the, the idea of, of God calling and of God choosing is a stumbling block, and it is to a lot of people, We must hold God as the creator, as the sustainer. He holds the very world in his hand. He knows the number of the sand on the seashores. Everything is by him and for him. And so if we're going to reject his calling, then we're going to have to reject him also as creator and sustainer. You can't have him both ways. You can't have him as the sovereign creator of the world and then not have him be the one who calls to his gospel. Further reading would be in Romans 9 where Paul asks, is there injustice on God's part in calling to salvation? And he interacts with that there. I don't really have time to go through it here. I recommend you to read through that and consider what it says. Some of you will say, or some might say, well, what if I've never felt God call me? What if I'm not certain that I'm called? And my word to you would be that you are here. You are in church. You are listening to the gospel. And God is calling through that gospel. The second portion then is that he was called by grace. He was called 
by the goodness of God. He was not called of his own merit. God did not look at Paul's ability to perform in Judaism, but he looked at a soul that he wished to save. Paul was not seeking God. It was by his grace that he calls Paul, and it's by his grace that he calls us. We who have no merit, we who are ungodly and sinful, but yet he calls us. God was seeking Paul, and he seeks us today. And then the third, he revealed his son to me. And he does that to each of us. We don't come about the gospel of Christ simply to attain a higher method of living. We don't become a Christian to learn the best ways to live, to learn the method by which we will be the most satisfied, to learn the things to do and the things to not do. We are called by His grace to know Christ. The revelation of Christ to a soul is the moment by which a person can be considered a Christian. No action of man can make Christ plain to us. It is the joy of God to reveal Him. We don't seek to become moral people. We seek Christ. We seek to know Him and to know His gospel. And it is by that gospel then that we are saved. It is the knowledge of Christ. And Paul refers to that. He says that it came from Christ. It was His communion. It was His meeting with Christ that worked out this gospel. 1 Corinthians 1.18-25 to For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demanded signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. A little bit of a, of, a, of a bunny trail here. Um, we have a term up here where it says, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater? And if we think that we are going to debate with somebody on a human sense and use human logic to convince a person to follow God, to break down their barriers of logic and reasoning, And we're going to convince them to become a Christian. We're sadly misleading ourselves. We can't do that. It says to those who are called, the gospel is the power of God and the wisdom of God. 
we're not going to see that unless it is revealed in us through Christ. And if that's our system, if that's how we try to pursue somebody to accept Christianity, then we're really no different than, than any other religion or any other idea. So, if you're going to follow uh, Islam, you're going to have to accept that you need to do certain things to make Allah happy, to make Him pleased to accept you into His heaven. If you're a Buddhist, you're going to have to do certain things to become who you should become. If you're going to follow the teachings of Hindu, you're going to do the best that you can so that in the end, maybe you can attain a higher life form. Our world doesn't necessarily put religious in front of those in our, in our Western world. We have activism, and we have do-goodery, and we have find a cause that stirs your soul. We can apply our wills in a feeble attempt to find meaning and to, to place Christ in that as simply a matter of activism and simply a matter of uh, doing something to make us look good is to deny the gospel. There was a purpose uh, that all of this took place. Paul was set apart. Christ was revealed to him in order that he might preach. God had a specific plan to work out in Paul. And he has the same for us. He calls us for a specific time and a specific purpose. And he calls us to follow him in that. He called Paul a man who was well-trained. and He became a missionary apologist for Christianity. I'd like to return in closing here to the idea of a former life. Paul says, in my former life. And the reality is that all of us have a former life. For some, it's a life that's scarred by, by sin and by failure. For some, it's a life, a former life, that means you've grown up in church and you've heard the words of God, but they never made sense. They never, they never saved you. You did the things that you were meant to do. The, you did the things that you were told to do. But in them, you weren't really following God. You were simply following what was in front of you. And that is a former life as well. But the offer is open for each of us to make that a former life. To make that of the past. To start a new life in Christ. To be called by His grace. To be set apart. To see Christ as the point of life. If you think that by doing and by showing up on church on Sunday, that it's going to do anything in the end without Christ, then we're tricking ourselves. The former life that Paul had was a Christless life. His new life was one where Christ was revealed to him. The final phrase then we have there in verse 24, and they glorified God because of me. The Jewish Christians that said that didn't know Paul. They just knew that he who was persecuting 
now preach the gospel. And the same can be said of each of us. Your former life, people can say, he was that, but he's not that anymore. He preaches the gospel. He lives the gospel. He loves the gospel. And so today, consider whether you're still in your former life or whether you're in new life with Christ. I don't believe any moment, um, as Linford said last Sunday, any um, action can make that happen. But each of us should have a place in our life should have a time where we say Christ was revealed to me and now it all makes sense. And then we live on the power of that revelation. Shall we pray? Father, we praise you for your calling of Paul, for your calling of him out of a former life into new life, that of spreading your word. Father, may your gospel weigh upon us. May you be revealed in our hearts. May we seek to know you and seek to follow you with all of our hearts. Father, if there are those that are struggling, may you call them to yourself. May you make yourself plain. And may they follow and submit their will to yours. We pray this through Christ.